Greetings and welcome to Shattered Lives, an informed, conversational, cutting-edge radio show in touch with today's issues that impact the lives of crime victims, addressing the aftermath of crime, forging a path for hope, building awareness, and empowering listeners for the future. This is Donna Argor, a.k.a. Lady Justice, your host, with my co-host, Delilah Jones, president of Imagine publicity.com welcoming you to today's show and to our library of weekly archive shows and it is our goal each and every week to make a difference so um, I greet everyone today on on this Saturday in May and um, we're very excited to have a brand new guest with us today and uh, we are dealing with um, the topic of human trafficking. And um, before we bring uh, Megan Matson on, I just want to make a couple of very brief announcements of two things that are going on and chat a little bit with Delilah. I um, just want to give a shout out to um, all the listeners in New England and Connecticut in particular. We have the Survivors of Homicide Golf Tournament coming up at the Tower Ridge Country Club in Avon which is July 22nd, including a uh, nine, hole, uh, nine holes of golf and a buffet and door prizes, et cetera, uh, for 90 bucks. And it's a wonderful um, event, and all the proceeds go to Survivors of Homicide. So you can uh, get in touch with Jessica Pizzano at Survivors of Homicide, Inc. And the other announcement I just want to make for my Carolina friends is they're having a um, a – Birthday and Missing Persons Awareness for Ebony Spears, who is a missing person uh, since January of 2016, and they're having a butterfly release at the Northside Park on 610 Best Street in Wilmington, and um, we just want to uh, create an awareness of Ebony's case and the fact that um, the Q Center and her family is not giving up on, on this case, and it's very important to recognize people. So um, just wanted to give uh, those two announcements. Um, Delilah, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Doing great, um, as always, on a Saturday morning, having uh, a show with you. Well, yes, indeed. It's always, it's, it's always uh, the highlight of my Saturday, believe me. Um, and we're very excited to have one of our former Q to um, present your guests here. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very excited because I learned a lot about the human side of uh, what, what somebody deals with after they have been able to successfully sort of come out of the shadows of this awful, awful um, crime that is just in epidemic proportions. And, and um, Megan has, has been so inspiring. And I, I think, too, that you know, the people that we know that are the shining stars of human trafficking, specifically uh, Betty Hubian and, and Daddy Laster, just do so much for people like Megan. And I, I just, you know, they're tremendously talented, and they're always trying to help beat the drama about about this awful crime, and there's so much misinformation. So we are here to, to help in creating a better awareness. Are, are we not? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. we are. Yeah. So I I think that um Megan Megan gave us a a, a a an overview in terms of uh 
what just what her story was and, and what she went through. Um, and we're certainly going to um, touch on that in the beginning, but I also want to get into some of the other aspects that she didn't have time for. So um, with that, um, Megan, um, we welcome you to the Shattered Lives um, radio family. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Donna, and thank you, Delilah. Um, I don't even know where to begin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, how about All the right. beginning? <laughs> okay. You, know, um, just, you can introduce, you know, who you are a little bit and maybe in terms of, of a summarized version of your story, and then we can get into more details that we had discussed previously. How about that? Okay. All right. So uh, as you heard, my name is Megan, um, and I am a survivor of human trafficking. Uh, it started in 2007. Uh, I met a Marine in South Carolina while I was going to college and uh, just bought my first house and first car and had a good job. Um, but I had a dream of living a bigger life because uh, I was not sheltered as a child, but just kind of under the, the ruling thumb of my parents, if you will, to be the best that I could be and who they wanted me to grow up and be. So um, I met a Marine, and he uh, got papers that he was transferring to San Diego, California. So that meant um, I got to go with him, and we got married and uh, I thought I was starting the beginning of my dream life. Um, six months into that, uh, we were getting divorced because it became a domestic violence relationship. Um, and that was my first experience of um, abuse and uh, just somebody taking, like, your credit cards and your phone records and going through all of it and following you places and always wanting to know where you're going to be at all times and uh, just very controlling aspects of it, and then then came the abuse. Um, so I would, when that would happen, I'd call my family, and they'd want to come and rescue me, uh, but I wouldn't allow them to do that because I was a big girl at this point and just the shame aspect of it. Um, so the husband, he had gotten deployment papers to go off to Afghanistan to fight the war in 2008 and uh, presented me with divorce papers. Uh, so I feared being homeless in a few months and I needed to get a job and figure out what I was going to do. Um, so I started going on Craigslist and looking for jobs and applying and, uh, I got a response back from one that was at a, at a massage place. Um, it didn't seem out of the ordinary to me. It was kind of like a massage envy, um, where you just go and you pay $50 and you get a regular massage the ad uh, said that you didn't need any formal training, that they would do training on the spot. Uh, I called the number, emailed back and forth, and uh, talked with a young woman who seemed very pleasant uh, every time that we talked. So we arranged an interview. Um, I was going to bring a friend with me that needed a job as well, and uh, we were going to the bus stop. And the woman called us and said that she was in the area and she was happy to just come and pick us up. So that's what she did. And uh, she took us back to this apartment complex. Um, and immediately I knew something was a little different. <laughs> but she, she, uh, she reassured us that this is just where the office was, that they did the interviews and that uh, we would see the massage place later on. So 
Um, I mean, it was a nice apartment complex. Um, so we went inside. The apartment was very nice. Uh, sat down on the couch in the living room. She sat down with us, um, asked us for our driver's license and social security numbers so she could go and make a copy of them. And uh, she went into the back room to do that. And then a few minutes later, um, this heavy set African-American man walked out and uh, he said that we could call him boss and then told us what we were really there to, to do. Um, which and was that must to, have been your, your <laughs> moment of reckoning that, oh my God, this is totally not what, what we, what I think, right? That was the slap in the face that I knew something is off. Like you, you, you can, you need to trust your instincts. And I wasn't doing that. My gut feeling whenever we got to the apartment and then walking inside and something's off here, but I just went with it because I trusted, you know, humanity and grew up in a small town and people, you know, this happens in another country. This isn't going to happen to me. I've watched too much Law and Order, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, well, um, <clears throat> so, well, Megan, anyway, maybe you can maybe you can speak just quickly on what you feel are the dangers to an- answering ads such as this on Craigslist or wherever they may be. It may not even be on Craigslist, but I know there are you know all kinds of blind ads out there that are similar. And so what, what would you just say to someone who was considering answering one of those ads for employment? I, I was thinking oh, I, the same thing. Go ahead. <laughs> I see them all the time still today whenever I look for jobs. Um, and they say, like, are you tired of being in the same old job having a boss? Would you like to become your own boss in a matter of days and make thousands of dollars? Things like that. It could be kind of sketchy. And then whenever you look at the reply, if they don't give you a phone number or a legitimate website or tell you the name of the business, then it could just be somebody that's ploying you. And then whenever they meet you, um, they they could turn it into something that you weren't expecting because they're looking for those vulnerable or uh, not necessarily gullible, but kind of naive people or that don't really know – uh, what the dangers are out there, but that want to make that fast cash and don't care necessarily what the dangers might be that are hidden, and they just respond to it and go into the situation. How was your it's ad phrased when when your ad was – was it just like what you said, your the massage ad? It was it was like, do you want to make money? Uh, training on the spot, no, t- uh, no prior experience. Um, it didn't give a name of the business. It said it was an up-and-coming massage business that um, was hiring new people to train in all positions. So I'm thinking administrative, um, uh, the uh, therapists, you know, ev- maintenance. I mean, everything. Kind of, but it, I guess the, in all positions, it meant you know sexual positions. <laughs> so I, <laughs> yeah, oh I fell God. for it. I fell I for it. it. Well, I know that there have been quite a few homicides via Craigslist, and as a consequence, I, ne- I mean, my work colleagues always go on there to look for use. For, I, I'm like, I'm staying away from that. I'm too scared. I don't know <laughs> what the prosecution rate has been with, with Craigslist. I mean, they're still out there operating, and I know that certain 
certain publications like in Connecticut, the, the back pages of uh, the Hartford Advocate, that we've successfully been able to get legislation to to eliminate that. But I think it's just, is it state by state in terms of being able to shut these people down and we just haven't been able to do that with Craig's? Well, it's actually, okay, so in 2009, right after I testified against my trafficker, they actually shut down the adult escort portion of Craigslist. So that no longer exists. But then they go, just like with Backpage that they recently did shut down, the adult section of it, I have still gone on Backpage, and then you can go under jobs, under massages, or services, massages, and there they are again. They've just transferred into a different place on Backpage. Like like somebody closing down their business and opening up under another exactly. name. Exactly. Just... A shell company. Wow. Exactly. So uh, you, that that should be the next step to kind of tr- track these people and go after them. I know mean, that's what that's, I would think. That's part of what I do is I follow them. <laughs> you follow them. Okay. So um, if we can kind of summarize what, where where um, you got into this. On, you know, because you were naive, and you're, what, what happened um, on a personal level um, after you know the the initial experience, and then maybe bringing us up a bit to the point where you were able to get get out of that life. Um, okay, so I, I was there for about three or four days. I didn't find that out until later whenever I had testified. But um, basically the bottom girl, she was there to just show us everything that we had to do. Um, He took us to a different location and took pictures of us and put us up on Craigslist with new names and used our cell phones uh, for the people to call and order services. Um, My memory now, I have no idea how many Johns there were, uh, but the last one I ended up escaping with. Um, and we had to escort all the men down to the parking lot, and uh, I had done that, and he had asked if I wanted to leave with them. So I told my friend about it, and uh, and she punched me in my face in the parking lot, and so I bolted because the bottom girl was calling upstairs for the boss. Um, so I knew he was coming down, and so we fled. Uh, hopped the fence and ran up to the gas station and uh, called the police, and they came and all they did was took pictures of my face and took down our statement, and uh, I had left with the man. And then I learned later that the police officer actually went back to the apartment and arrested my friend for assault and took her to jail. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, but <laughs> um, the girls were all still inside. They were all still working, and the officer never investigated any of that, even though I gave them the lead that that's what was going on. Um <clears throat> So I later found out that uh, after she had gotten arrested, the trafficker went and bailed her out for $800, and then she had to work it off. Um, It became a big operation after I left. Um, It was only for a couple of months until they finally got busted again, um, and then we went to trial. But they were going down to Mexico and working the Las Vegas Strip as well, um, doing uh, Fantasy Maids, which is on Craigslist right now. Men are trying to hire. 
Um, and also, Fantasy um, Work Made, M-A-I-E? Fan- correct. You can come clean my house, wear lingerie or naked, and I'll pay you. There's a lot mm. of places hiring for that right now. Um, and they're, they're targeting college girls that need money. Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. Can you t- tell us what the bottom girl term means? Um, so that is the girl that has the highest ranking position in the house. She has earned enough trust and worked her way up the ladder. She can be there whenever the boss is not there, collect the money, and the boss trusts her to give the money to him. A lot of times they have a relationship, a boyfriend-girlfriend sort of relationship, so, and that is what they had. Um, so a lot of times boss wasn't there, and we had to give the money to, to the bottom girl. And she also is the one that shows you the ropes. She's the one that will take you to the store so you can get toiletries, looks after you, so to speak, or um, abuses you to put you back in your place so that way the boss doesn't have to do it. And that's called bottom versus the top girl? Like you said, she's the top girl. <laughs> no, there is no, it's, just, it, it's bottom bitch. Sorry, that's that's the name of it. There's no top that's, girl or anything like that. That's the real name. Wow. That's the real name. Bottom bitch. The degradation, the dead degradation of this this whole process is just is just incredible. And uh, people, I think people just don't have an inkling about you know all of this process that you're describing, and it's just incredible. Um, a lot of times you're seeing um, on the news in the newspaper a man and a woman are getting arrested for trafficking. Nine out of ten times she's a victim as well, and she's just going along with it. My phrase is, would you rather be beaten or do the beating? And so they just get caught up in it, and they're too scared to get out of it, so they're still going along with it, and now they're considered a trafficker as well because they were recruiting or participating in the trafficking event. And why is it that um, initially when you told the police this information about what was going on, they held back and didn't do anything? Were they trying to collect more evidence or, or what, I mean, was there a reason why they didn't ask? Uh, I, have yet, I have yet to discover one. I'd love to see that initial police report. <laughs> um, I, I believe he just thought I was a prostitute. Um, that got in a bad situation. So um, and and human trafficking wasn't wi- really widespread talked about then. It, it was, um, I believe it was October of 2008. I know it was 2008 at the end of it, but I want to say October. So not much was being talked about about human trafficking. Yeah, I, I can imagine. Um, with regard to um, th- this whole labeling and, and uh, awareness of human trafficking, I know in, in our previous conversations this week, you, you had shared with me that a lot of these victims um, are not even aware that their experience is something that is defined as, as trafficking until maybe five years down the road, and that kind of leads into, well, then they can't get prosecutorial help or help in terms of human or social or mental health services, right? Exactly. Um, Can we talk about my, that? Sure. Uh, in my situation, I had blocked it out for years, um, and drinking and drugging was uh, how I did that. And uh, the traffickers helped me 
to kind of really heighten that, if you will. So for years, I just um, did a lot of self-damaging uh, behavior, and I ended up having a child and moving back home to South Carolina, uh, where I'm originally from. And at, uh, at that point, it was time to, to get help. But it wasn't about the trafficking. It was for my substance abuse. Because in my mind, I was just abused and something back in California happened and I didn't know what. Because I locked it up in, in Pandora's box, if you will. Um, so I went to a recovery center um, and I had to have private insurance. And so I couldn't afford that. Uh, so <laughs> um, my mom paid for part of it. And then about a year of just going through um, programs and AA and NA, uh, these memories started to come back in these flashes. And I knew, okay, what, though it happened in that apartment, that's why I'm still doing these behaviors and still hurting myself and everyone around me. This is what I need to get help for. So um, I had looked online um, about, like, domestic violence and sexual assault places. And I read an article about uh, human trafficking, and I responded to it. I, I put a blog on the Internet about, well, where are these services at? Because something like this happened to me whenever I was reading the details of what human trafficking was. And I was just floored. So I, I ranted and raved on this blog. And someone responded back to me who helped to draft the legislation. And she started, um, she became my mentor and started kind of guiding me through the ropes and told me that I could call one place and they give six months of free services. So that's what I did. Um, I went there for six months and started to uncover more and more, but uh, then the six months were over. And it was like somebody ripped a scab off of this wound that had kind of, you know, scabbed over, but the wound is still there. They just ripped the scab right off and pushed me out the doors, and no referrals were there. And so I was left to just pick up the pieces, and I still had to have a job. I, still, I had a daughter I was raising. I was married. Um, still had to you know, make a mortgage payment, and I was losing my mind because I, I, I knew what had happened but still couldn't put the pieces back together. Um, so what happened after the six months of the treatment you were – you you were still like searching like mad for our resources oh, maybe to the state or governmental agencies or nonprofits. Absolutely, I was um I was calling the lawyer because I still had the subpoena that I had to go and testify. I was calling her and asking what happened to me. You know, I need to know the truth and where's the victim advocate that helped me and I need to speak with her. Where are my resources at since the crime happened in South? I mean, in California. Because uh -huh. I had reached out to the South Carolina Victims Assistance Network, and I learned since my crime did not happen in South Carolina, I was not eligible for services in the state that I now live in. I needed to go back to California. So okay. as we know in trafficking, they're not always staying in the same state. They're traveling along the interstates, going to different ones, always keep, keeping them mobile. But now, however, they also can keep them in the exact same house the whole time and never transport them. So don't, don't skew that, that, that point of view. Um, anyways, uh, you have to file a police report in order to get certain services and be cooperating with the police. 
So if a victim later identifies years down the road that she is a victim after reading something or all this awareness that's going on, she now knows that's something that I did. Because I've had people that come have come up to me and said, I'm so glad that you told me what you did because this happened to me whenever I was a child. And then I know in the back of my mind, it's going to be hard for you to get help now because probably no police report and it, it, you have to do it within three to four years, um, actually file the report, or you're no, no longer eligible for services. Um, and is each state different in terms of the statute of limitations, uh, Megan? I, yes, they are. I don't okay, know what so each state is. Did you have to file just, California? You had to file a California statute of limitations. Nothing to do with South Carolina, right? Or was well, it? I wasn't gonna. No, I wasn't gonna go to fly back to California to get my mental health services. I needed to stay here in South Carolina, so that's who I had to try and get funding through. California mm-hmm. would not send me funding to get services right. through South Carolina. So, so what I mean, I definitely, I tried to file for victim restitution and compensation. Um, they sent me the paperwork, but they told me I could not get restitution because that needed to be filed in court um, during the trial. And so, and I would only get half of the money that's ever put on his books. Um, compensation, it's been too long at this point. That needs to be filed within six years of the crime happening. However, you can appeal it. And so it's just all this paperwork. Wow. And it, it's, and it's going back and forth with um, California, and it's just, it's too much. You know, it just, I'm just kind of, I'm ready to put that behind me and stop trying to fight for, um, for him and for myself in, in the way, uh, it's hard to explain. Um, I used to be really bitter about it, and so I was on this, like, just uh, go, go, go. I'm going to get everything, you know, all the help that I can get because I deserve it. And, you know, everybody else can get help, and I can't. What's wrong with me? You know, children have all these services that they're entitled to. Immigrants have all these services they're entitled to. What about domestic, as in women that are born here and that are over 21 years old? What happens to us? We fall through the cracks. Unless you're rescued from a raid and then you go to a safe house, then you can get services. But if you have a family or children and a life out there, you're not going to want to go hunker down in a shelter for a year or two in a different state. Right. So you think you're ju- it's just the system that's working against you and the the bureaucracy and the paperwork and like anything else it's too complicated and they count on the fact that people will give up is that is is that true oh yeah oh yeah i was calling hundreds of places um <clears throat> going online looking for any organization that's doing something joining them um and then you realize a lot of them just are kind of out to get money instead of actually give you services. One time at one place, um, they gave me counseling in a Dunkin' Donuts while her husband was walking back and forth behind her, and she threw bunch of, a bunch of Bible scripture at me. Um, what? At that, at that moment in my life, homework and Bible structure about how I was going to crawl out of this hole in a Dunkin' Donut was not what I needed at the time. <laughs> Oh my God! But they are now also running. What you're saying, I think, also. 
say that again? I didn't get. get but that now they're that. running a shelter for, for victims. And that's and, the same. Oh, oh my Well, and this God. whole statement that you've just made kind of goes back to the what we've seen in in domestic violence issues for forever, actually. And it's it's kind of the check the box mentality rather than looking at each case and the merits of each case as individuals, it's grouped into a, you know, the group think, and, and this is what you do. This is what you're going to do next. This is what you're going to do last. And, and everybody mm-hmm. doesn't need the same things at the mm-hmm. same time. Mm-hmm. So, right. you know, until we can get agencies and organizations involved in changing the conversation for victims of, of all kind of crimes, actually, not just human trafficking, but to to take it on an individual basis as much as, as humanly possible, because your needs, obviously, are going to be very, very different than someone else that you may have been with um, in the same exactly. situation. So, you know, that that just burns me. It's one of my pet peeves. <laughs> Yes, it's it's just incredible that that, that would happen. And now I know another thing that you you shared with me was that, and I don't know if this is in regard to your job search or even just searching for um, eligibility for funding for for counseling or uh, drug drug counseling or mental health counseling. We talked about suicidal ideation and suicide. Mm-hmm among people in your situation. And I don't think I've really um, heard a lot about that. Tell, tell us about that. Okay. Well, so as I mentioned, there's just so many different services that victims are going to need all throughout their life. Um, if it happened to them as a child, then, you know, they can get uh, trauma therapy as a child, but then as they grow older, things are going to be happening in their life and, uh, that are environmental, and they're going to need to get counseling again. And sometimes you will have already met your quota, so to speak. Um, so then it, the search begins again, and you're making phone calls. And let's say that you get married, and you want to have a healthy sexual you know, marriage, but all these issues start to come back that didn't mm-hmm. used to be there. And so how do you get help for that? Or you can't sleep at night now. And it's, a, it's, it's damaging your job production uh, or your productivity throughout your day. And um, so then you just be kind of become helpless and hopeless that how am I supposed to function as a, you know, productive member of society? And this happened 20 years ago. It should be, you know, I should be over it by now. And everybody's kind of looking at you like, what's, what's the matter with you? You're, are you losing your mind? You need to get some help. You need to get some help. And all you've been doing is trying to get help, and you just kind of feel like everyone's against you, and there's nowhere else to go. You've uh, tried everything that you can, and you stink because you feel like you're drowning. And that was part of my my thing was I was having these night terrors of literally I was dying every night, and I was drowning in this glass room, and I couldn't break free, and then I would wake up and I'd be in a panic. And so then I would sleep the next day because I was up all night after the night tears. <laughs> so you want to just either check yourself into a psych ward. So that way everybody else in there is crazy too. And they're not looking at you like you are. And you can just pace the halls in that white robe and have no 
worries or responsibilities or you want to slit your wrists or just drive your car off of a bridge because you're in such a dissociated state of hopelessness and helplessness, you want to give up because well, everybody's um, giving you're up You're describing post-traumatic stress disorder, correct, with – you know, uh, with everything that you've been through, and and so at each and every day, did you did you feel suicidal um, at certain points, or did it did it uh, did it come to a crescendo? Where how did you how did you get through that point where, where you didn't feel like you wanted to end it all? Um, so I definitely had those thoughts. I mean, I knew how I was going to do it. Um, not that I had made a plan, but just that I would be driving down the road. And in such a fog, and uh, I'm surprised I didn't get in a wreck all the time, honestly, or walk out into traffic because I was so dissociated. But I was just going to drive my at any moment. You know, I'd have the thought and say, what if I just let go of the wheel and just drove right off right now? But then it would mm-hmm. be, I would hurt that other person, and I couldn't, you know, I wouldn't, I didn't want to hurt anybody else by just giving up on myself. And then I would have the thought, my mother screaming and dropping the phone whenever in 2007 my aunt committed suicide. I saw the ramifications of what it did to my family, and I knew that just from seeing my my mom go through that with the sister that she disliked the most, Mm -hmm. um, I would never be able to do that to my mother, never. And seeing my grandmother go through that, it killed her the next year. So, really? I mean, oh, I'm so sorry. Could, no, it's okay. Mm-hmm. That's why I couldn't do it personally. So it was, again, okay, Megan, can't give up, can't give up. There's got to be something else out there. <laughs> so I just right. kept trudging along and, and, nev- and not giving up and continued to reach out to other people. And that's how I really built a strong support system and network with other advocates and survivors um, that are in this field, and they, that's become my family at this point. Mm-hmm. Well, it, that, that sounds as if, you know, you, you really do have a very uh, strong constitution, and you, you were able to, to make it through, uh, you know, probably the, the hardest thing that you've ever, that you've ever encountered in your life. And um, so I, I so applaud you for, for being so strong and at that, you know, there might've been a light bulb that went off and and said, you know, I can't do this to my mom, to my child. And it's not about me kind of thing. And a lot of times uh, in periods of weakness, that's when the light bulb goes off and says, you know, it's worth it to stay here. It's so much more worth it. And so I, I really applaud you for your, for your strengths and all. What did you, what did you do? Um, after those six months in terms of making it to the point where you are now, both in terms of your, your, your mental health, Mm -hmm. being, being clean and sober and getting on that career education and career track. Let's talk about that aspect of your journey, Megan. Okay. So um, after the six months of counseling, I continued um, to, to go to meetings every single day, and I focused on Megan. They tell you in recovery, if an airplane is going down, put the recover or put the oxygen mask on yourself first before you put it on anybody else, because you can't help anyone unless you can save yourself first. So 
I was going going meetings every single day. And in those meetings, they tell you to look to a higher power. Um, I honest, I hate saying this, but at the time, I uh, was not a believer uh, in God. And because if there was one, he witnessed everything that I went through, and I was ashamed, embarrassed, and bitter. Um, so my higher power was the doorknob, and then it became the other people in the room. And uh, then I just – I really wanted to do more about this situation, and I kept reading about caseworkers and advocates, and I was wondering, well, where are they? Because I've never seen them. And so I decided um, I'm going to go back to school, and I'm going to try to go back to school. I'm going to investigate it because everything needs to be one day at a time in recovery. So uh, I went and saw my old uh, professor that I had first time I went to college and uh, told him kind of what had happened, and he, t- he guided me in the right direction to go see an advisor in human services, and uh, he invited me to church. So I went to church with him that weekend and um, in the back row and uh, just cried my eyes out and had a completely different experience, and I, I kept going back. And then it became something for me and my daughter to do together because I had kind of lost the relationship with my daughter going through recovery um, because, honestly, whenever I had her, um, I was still in my fog, and it wasn't like I really even had a child. It, it, How old is your things. child? She is. She will be turning seven in July now. But whenever I started my recovery process, she was two. So um, we have a great relationship now, but that took a lot of time to build um, mm-hmm. because I was focusing on myself. And, you know, anyways, so moving on. Um, so I was going to church, and then um, I went and signed up for financial aid, and lo and behold, uh, I got tuition assistance, and I didn't have to pay for anything. And I was like, thank you, Lord. And mm-hmm. um, started going to – I was still working at the time, um, not drinking, and, I, like, I uh, put myself in situations that I knew I would not be able to relapse or just putting myself in positive situations. And um, so started going back to school, two, three classes at a time, working, coming home. Um, and then eventually uh, I got internships, and my first one was uh, with Christ Central Ministries. And I started mentoring children and uh, becoming a community advocate. And I had joined the um, – I'm sorry, let me back up. I went to an um, awareness event at a high school in Columbia that had uh, first implemented a pilot curriculum uh, called the Frederick Douglass Family Initiative out of Georgia. And so South Carolina has now, just the school has adopted this pilot program. So we went to this big awareness event, and it was fantastic. All of the kids were so involved, and that is where you can do big strides in prevention is teaching children through a curriculum-based program. Start at, a, start a, a pilot program for, for what? What, what was For the, human tra- um, to teach children about human trafficking. Okay. Yes, wow. the whole entire school was involved. Oh, it was, a, it was fantastic. So the next day I went to class, and our guest speaker was a man, and he was at that event. And so I came up to him and started talking to him, and he said that, yes, something needs to be done in South Carolina about trafficking, and he's a county councilman for Richland County. So he said that he wants to, uh, he wanted to start 
um, with a breakfast and um, start getting some key stakeholders. So I attended the breakfast, and then that became a coalition, and now that has turned into the Richland County Human Trafficking Task Force. And we, and along with Greenville, are two of the leading um, regions in South Carolina uh, that are fighting human trafficking and actually getting results. Um, so I'm part of that, and I joined the Attorney General's Human Trafficking State Task Force. And I just continued to network with people, building relationships, gathering contacts, um, going to all of these trainings that were just on the side because you could get certification in domestic violence, suicide prevention, building bridges, uh, wraparound services, human trafficking survivor awareness, victim service provider. I was taking all of these classes. Anytime something would come up, I'm going to that, I'm going to that, just to kind of build my portfolio, if you will, and also to learn more about all the aspects that encompass human trafficking, homelessness, um, foster care, like runaway and homeless youth, domestic violence, sexual assault, um, suicide, anywhere that you look in those areas, you will find people that have been victimized or that have the potential to become victimized. Wow. Well, it you know you you've done a tremendous amount. It, now you have a what a an associate's or a bachelor's degree in human services. I, I have a, a associates in human services. Um, I'd love mm-hmm. to be able to continue, but that that took two years. Um, going part time, and mm-hmm. uh, now I'm a single mom, and uh, I had to hunker down and and get a solid paycheck for right now. But I would love to go back to school and get my master's so I could continue doing the advocacy and. Um, some counseling and case management. So what? What? And I know you have sort of a a plan laid out for the future, but what what does that look like when you're you're able to to, to get to that point? What is it that you would let your your dream job? <laughs> um, I would love to um, be the clearinghouse if you will, for uh, references and uh, referrals, resources. Um, I love helping um, people that they, they call in and they say, hey, we want to do a training. Um, who do you recommend? And so I ask, well, what kind of objectives would you like to have? What's the audience like? And then I call those people and I help them set up their event. Um, I love doing that. And then I love getting the phone calls from the mother that says, my daughter, I'm afraid that she's being trafficked or she's going to be. And so I get on the phone immediately and I start calling my resources. The same day I had that mother at the FBI headquarters with her daughter talking to an FBI agent. Um, Really? I love, yes, I love getting phone calls from um, agencies that are in a different, completely different part of the state saying, hey, we have a victim, she needs a shelter, what do you recommend? And then so I start calling my contacts. So what I would love to have is a database at my fingertips that with the partnerships that I've made, like the shelters and the legal, um, legal aspects, the mental health counseling, um, and then the life skills, all of it, the health care, I have all of those people kind of at the on the pulse, if you will, um, that I can call at any moment. So I would love to have a job that I could be that clearinghouse and just have a database system that we can look into that somebody calls and says, we have a 16-year-old victim. 
who has a bed. And I can go on to the database and I see because it's updated every 24 hours who has bed space, who's just, you know, who is um, uh, maximum occupancy, everything like that. Um, who's is that on something the coalition? I'm sorry, go ahead. Um, who's on rotation for their pro bono legal legal services? Who's on rotation for their pro bono um, hypnotherapy? You know, everything like that is is just is ready to go. And I started, I, I tried to start the organization. I registered it through the Secretary of State, but um, it's a very slow process, as I'm sure many people know, to get a nonprofit up and running. And uh, as I said, I just had to hunker down and get a full-time job in the meantime to focus on my daughter. And so that's on the back burner, but that is something that I would love to see happen, whether it's, you know, through my organization, Human Trafficking Resource Center of South Carolina, or it is me at the resource center working for another agency and providing all of that to them. Well, I, I just I just think this is a, a wonderful goal, and um, through your networking and your your coalition work, is is this database something that is um, is being actively worked on, or is this just something you have personally that you're you're using uh, with with your um, volunteer pro bono work with with victims? Okay, so mine is a vision. Um, I've talked with uh, someone that runs a task force, and they got someone on board that would um, build the database for us. But then I guess that fizzled out, never heard anything else about it. Um, I know that the attorney general's office is building a database, and I've contacted the person, but um, she says that we can correspond and I can ask any questions via email. So I don't want to be presumptuous going to and presenting to the Attorney General's office, this is the database system I would like to see, and its name is Exodus, from the Bible reference, getting Moses getting the the uh, slaves out of Egypt, and just I have this vision of this whole entire database system that has um, back doors to it that that only certain people can access, and like I said, it gets uploaded. Um, there's one main server, and that each agency has a mini um, a mini network that they go they go online and upload the application, or it's uh, automatically uploaded every 24 hours about the services that they have then coming up the next day. Um, does that make sense? Like they have bed space, or this place is closed right. down. It just automatically gets updated, but not everybody can access that because you don't want a data breach or. You don't always know who to trust. You don't want people knowing the so, hidden locations. So does this framework technologically exist already, and it's just a matter yes. of somebody doing it? It does, yes. Wow. That would be that would be great. I mean, look at all the other the NamUs and all the other databases that are so valuable for people. Uh, I just – I love your dream and your vision, your mission, and I, I, I really hope that this, this comes true. And you are such a go-getter, and, <laughs> and you're, you're focusing on the positive. And, you know, maybe you won't get that financial restitution or whatever, and maybe that is a good thing 
to say, Who you cares? know, I have to go on to the next chapter and focus. Exactly. On. Look at look at the role model you are now for your daughter, Delilah. What taking all of this in? What are your thoughts about everything that she's she's done and that she wants to do? Well, I'm just very very proud of what she's been able oh. to come out of and create um, a better a better world for herself and for her daughter and her future family. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, a lot of, of victims don't don't go that path and, and their stories are are not quite as positive. And then there's a lot of others who um, have overcome the victimhood and are are doing great things. And I, I truly believe that Megan is definitely in that classification. So onward and upward, Megan. Thank you yeah. so much. <laughs> you know, and with you continuing to network with all of these people, and I think probably, like you say, the challenge is in getting in getting the paid position. What just to let people know, what what, what is the what is the biggest struggle right now for you in terms of applying for jobs, so that people have a sense of that. Okay, so typically right now I'm getting, I'm kind of. Uh, I don't want to say poster child for it, but kind of the face of South Carolina human trafficking. Um, so I get a lot of phone calls to come and be presenters and, uh, or, um, uh, you know, go on the news and stuff. And so sometimes it does feel like, okay, are they exploiting me just for my story again? Or, you know, is this something good going to come out of this? And so I keep doing it and keep doing it. But it, it's hard because you only have an associate's degree. And so putting on a cover letter, all of this now formal public speaking um, opportunities that I've had and relating it with the volunteer experience, but I've never gotten paid for anything. I've been a you know career waitress for 15 years and then random good jobs here and there. Um, like now I work at a medical facility, but it's how do you convey all of that into a cover letter whenever they want a bachelor's or master's degree and or equivalent experience in a one-page cover letter. I have no idea how to do that. It'd be 10 pages long to do personal experience and then advocacy and volunteering and public speaking and then, oh, yeah, the paid position. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it is a big challenge as we, we've, we've talked about. And, you know, I think every – Every business in, in this company, in this, uh, in this world right now in the U.S., they want to see how you can address whatever it is their problems mm-hmm. are. And so if you can hone in on that particular problem after you do your homework in terms of that company or that nonprofit and say, this is what I can do. And, you know, you, you definitely have so much positive to lend to them, but you know, you, and we never want to stress the negative, but it's so hard, it's so rough, even without, you know, the horrific story that you have, um, it's very hard for anyone to get a job out there, even without the human trafficking, so, you know, the uh, competition is incredible, but you have so much more, you know? Well, a lot of times, I, I think that as the employer, they're wondering, is this, is, is this person going to be able to remain objective in serving other victims? Or are they, because they do 
speak so much about themselves in presentations, how are they going to be able to put themselves behind them or aside and truly focus on this victim? So I and fear what would, that. What not, would your answer be to that if they asked you that in an interview situation, Megan? That it's not always about me, but that is a skill and a quality or an asset that I can bring to the table because I can relate to them and I know the struggles. Every, even though everybody has their own story, it's more relatable. I know that I, I only wanted to talk to another survivor and ask her, how are you doing this? How do you get through this? How do you do this and that, A, B, and C, D? And there wasn't anybody to talk to. And so I just, that, I guess that's what I would say, that I am able to remain objective. I've had years of counseling. I am fully aware of all of my shortcomings, <laughs> and I work on them daily. Um, but my goal is to help other victims and not myself. I've already helped myself as much as I can, and helping other people helps myself every day. Right. Well, I think we all are a work in progress, ever evolving, uh, and no one's perfect, and that's what, that's the beauty of life, because sometimes our imperfections are those things that, you know, people, people gravitate to, and, you know, uh, but are there, and I just thought of this just now, um, are there, in your, your area, are there support groups, peer support groups for human trafficking victims? There are not. Um, I have gone... To agencies and asked if we could start them um, because I'm actually certified to facilitate group counseling. So um, I've went to different places and asked, you know, and they've said, sure, you can get something started. Let's do it. And so then it's just once again doing it, but it'd be volunteer and I'd have to, you know, organize all of it myself and find a time to do it. And whenever I work 40 hours a week and then I go and get my daughter. So, but no, the answer to the question is there is not one. There are support groups for domestic violence. Um, right. Been to those. Um, it, it's similar to human trafficking, the mentality, but um, I think there needs to be more in-depth support groups where you can talk about your experience because you can't do that in domestic violence support groups. You can't get into detail. Right. Well, you need, you know, things like a, a donated space and, you know, uh, uh, advertising, marketing, and, and people to bring refreshment or whatever it is. I mean, mm-hmm. that's something that sounds like it would be doable if there's somebody out there listening and and they want to help with that aspect of it if you could work it into your schedule because that might be, you know, that might be a step toward something else in terms of a paid position. I'm just trying to think out of the box. But I, it's I think that's really needed. Yeah, it's like a mentoring program. What I would love to see are um, this mentor program going into schools, maybe like once a month and having a luncheon, like bring pizza or subs or something, and sit down and talk to the girls and just get to know them on a one-on-one basis and start to build that trust and rapport, and then they'll start to talk to you about things and tell you things that are going on, and then it can kind of become – a prevention and an um, advocacy group, and you learn about if girls are being victimized. Same thing with prison settings. You go in there and you kind of do an assessment, and you have a peer group with girls that have been victimized in trafficking or domestic violence, and you talk about it. And then you can maybe offer them other services or 
Um, same thing with uh, substance abuse groups. Going in there and it's just a big collaboration of a mentor and support system. I think that's very much needed because, like I said, the task force and my network system is my family now because they understand what I'm going through and they don't look at me in some glass like I'm like they're in a glass house, you know, casting stones and shame me all the time like normal yeah. society does. Well, I, I just think you're, you're, you're full of wonderful ideas, and it just takes that right opportunity and the right timing to, you know, to get that started. And hopefully we can, we will maintain contact. And if there's uh, some other way that I can uh, assist you with this, and uh, I, I, I will be glad to try because I just see your ambition here, and I, I know you, I know the future holds good things. Is there? We've got about five minutes or so left to our show, and I'm wondering if there, knowing that everyone's story is different and everyone's needs are different, and I think, um, and hopefully Delilah would agree with me. We've sort of painted the human side of trafficking, you know, in the aftermath. I think we've done a fairly good job of that with, with Megan here. But what would be the group message for our audience that you would say if, if someone is in the, you know, is on that path that you are on and they're listening to this show, what would be some general advice or a couple of tips that you would want to convey? Um, to not give up, for one. Mm-hmm. Um, And to just keep pounding the pavement, Um, I know it's hard to keep going online and trying to look for those places that you could get services or rebuild your life or try and make something positive out of it, but make the cold calls and just pour your heart out. Really, that's what I did. Um, A lot of times people hung up on me, but sometimes it opened another door and I made another relationship. And then they led me to some other place that I, I could call and that's part of building that network and just not giving up because each time another door opens, it gives you so much more hope. And right. I, I just know that even I'm not going to give up. I know that it's not perfect right now, but life never really is. And that there's something in store for each and every one of us. It's just um, kind of getting in tune with it and being practical about what you need to do right now in this moment and prioritizing and then one day um you know it's opportunity preparation equals success so just be prepared <laughs> yeah. whatever are is you, in yeah are you are you amenable to having other people contact you as a result of this podcast absolutely i would welcome that what how would people get in touch with okay. you the best way. Um, okay, my name is Megan Madsen. You can call me. Can I give out my phone number? Yeah. <laughs> sure. Um, if you, if you okay. like. Uh, yep. All right. It's 803 743 8469. Or they could email me at Madsen. That's M A D S E N. Period. Megan, M-E-G-A-N, at yahoo.com. Okay, well, well, that's great. And like you said, you, you just uh, 
put your information out there on a blog and the, the good people that we know and others kind of uh, reached out to you and maybe that's, that's what you can do because I, I genuinely uh, agree with what you're saying in terms of building coalitions and, and the one door shuts but then another one opens. So I think this has been a wonderful and inspiring um, hour and I, I'm so grateful that, that, that we were able to do this and we will, we will continue to keep in touch, and I know that Delilah feels the same, right? Donna and Delilah, thank you so much for having me on the show. Thank you so much. You bet. Well, you're, you're such an inspiration, and, and we appreciate um, you taking your Saturday morning to share with listeners out there. Thank you, Megan. No problem. Y'all have a yeah, happy thanks. Mother's Day, and to all the mothers out there, happy Mother's Day. Yeah, for sure. And so you you have a very good Mother's Day too. And and you know um, just just keep keep pushing like you say and persevering. And and we know that good things are going to happen for you. So with that, we're going to close out this edition of Shattered Lives. But we will be back next week. So uh, thank you again, Megan. Um, everyone thank have you. a very good Mother's Day. And thank you so much, um, Delilah. Next week, okay? All right, thank you. Bye.